0: Listener Production. Howdy crew, you are listening to episode 136 of the Howie Games Part B, featuring Jess Fox as she chases Olympic gold. So, as you mentioned, you're starting to win world championships across both disciplines that you compete in, and you're starting to become the Jess Fox that you are today, where you're becoming the most dominant athlete in the field. And here is the silver medalist from London, Jessica Fox...
1: If a lifetime is described by years, it can be defined by seconds. And the Australians are anxiously
0: awaiting the next 100 or so. Fox on the run in the final. You get to Rio in the K1, bronze. We spoke about delight with silver. How do you walk away from bronze in Rio?
2: Rio was interesting because um, I was coming in uh after a few good years on 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 the world tour, you know, I'd won a world title. I think I I came fourth the year before Rio, but I'd won some World Cup events, so I knew that I was capable of being on the podium and and challenging for that gold medal. And obviously, the media hype it up all the time. You know, you've won silver, so obviously you'll win gold again. But in my sport, it is quite challenging because so many things, you know, so many variables come into play on the whitewater and the the weather and. Um, you don't know what your competitors are going to pull out on the day. So for me, um, I was a little bit frustrated with my performance in Rio because it was quite windy. the, the for, for our final, it was really windy, which means the gates tend to to move a little bit. And for me, it felt like I had to then adapt to the wind and race a little bit. With the handbrake on because I didn't want to incur any penalties and take any risks and my style of paddling is actually to just go for it and, and take those risks because usually that's where I gain my time and, and get the speed um, and so yeah unfortunately I took a, I had a touch on the last upstream gate. i
1: have judged a penalty at gate
2: 22,
1: potentially on review. Added two seconds, and she's gone out to one hundred two forty-nine, and so Luca Jones has got the fastest time. So stand by.
2: And uh, ended up third, and although there was a bit of frustration in in the fact that I felt like I didn't show what I was capable of because I felt um, a little bit distracted by that wind. I was still so proud to be on the podium for a second time. You know, not many women had achieved that. And and so it was still a really special moment and I think it kept me super humble and hungry for those next, you know, four years, five years to Tokyo.
1: And Jessica Fox makes
3: the bronze medal.
2: Jessica Fox. But it also just showed me that just because you've you've won some races before doesn't mean you win you win the big ones. You've got to go and earn them, and you've got to pull it yeah. out on the day in that moment. So, that is something I love about our sport too. You know, any one of those top ten women who make the final can win the gold medal on the day.
0: And as you say, you, you've won a, a silver medal, then you've won a bronze medal. So you've been on the podium at two separate Olympics. These are remarkable achievements. Then you go on a run which is unparalleled in the sport. I know you won't, you won't like me saying it, but you're listed as the GOAT, the greatest of all time, <laughs> because you were just winning and winning and winning.
2: You're now also the most
3: successful individual canoe slalom paddler in the history of the sport. Wow.
2: Oh, I, uh, I cannot believe that.
0: Before we get to Tokyo, when do you find out that the games are not gonna be held in 2020. And was it a phone call? I I spoke to your good friend, Kate Campbell, about this recently and she said it just hit her like a truck, how was it for
3: you? The
4: inevitable
3: has finally been confirmed. Olympic games in a few months is simply not viable. Not for public health, not for the safety of athletes, and not for the integrity of the games themselves.
2: Yeah, I remember speaking to Kate about it um, and, and I think for many athletes it was really challenging. Um, I actually don't remember how I found out. I think it was just a news article or mum telling me, you know, because she'd received a phone call or something Um but I found out fairly quickly, but I also expected it. You know, the days before the announcement, they weren't sure if we'd be able to keep training. Um, we knew what was going on in Europe with with the lockdowns. So I think we were sort of expecting it. Um, and to me, I'd mentally prepared myself that it might not go ahead. We were preparing as if it was for those last you know a few days before the announcement and it felt a little bit futile you know we were thinking everything that's going on in the world this doesn't make sense but yeah when it when it happened i was expecting it and i just thought okay well it's an extra year um i can either you know sit here and feel sorry for myself and and feel a little bit lost or just just try and make the most of it and learn as much as i can in an extra year
0: so how did you go about isolation training? Did you have to do some of that weird training?
2: Yeah, I mean I think everyone had to get creative in some way. There were a lot of social media challenges that that went around that I took part in like uh, things with the Swiss ball and tennis <laughs> balls and I tried to learn to juggle um, but we were lucky. our um, Paddle Australia and Ennswys provided some gym equipment so I could set up a little home gym and, and so I would do something every day around that. and jumped in my swimming pool with my kayak. So In the pool? Yeah, 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 in the pool. It, it's not a very big pool. It's only like <laughs> seven metres long and like three metres wide, so it was a challenge turning it. <laughs> I think I put a few dents in the lining, but, yeah, look, I think it was also a little bit of a a nice break and a bit of a novelty as well at the start. You know, I thought, well, I don't mind training at home. It's It's nice to get creative, but... I can definitely see that, you know, after a few weeks, after a few months, it just it's, it's draining, it's exhausting to, to be in lockdown. So, um, yeah, it, it was challenging and I know it's been hard for a lot of people, you know, around the world in the lead up to the Olympics but still around the world, especially in Australia now.
0: So then Tokyo 2020, which is Tokyo 2021, how many times do you get to go down the course before you compete? But like how familiar do you get with the course?
2: So we got to go to Tokyo in uh, 2019 for the test event. So we had a few weeks of training there and, and racing opportunities there to get our bearings, get some video so that we could sort of analyse the course. And then with the postponement, they actually cancelled all of our scheduled training camps. Um, normally we would have one every month leading into the Olympics. And this time we only had a period of, I think it was two weeks before the Games to train and learn the course and they would actually made some modifications since the training camp in 2019 so it felt like a new course and we just had to kind of play around and try all different moves we don't actually get to practice the gate combinations of the race the olympic race that gets set the night before but in the lead up we had a training session every day where we oh. can try all different gait combinations um that might come up in the in the race but you know Technically, when 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 the when the race course is set, and we're analysing it, we probably have done the moves, just not strung all together.
0: So that, that that's interesting. So motorsport drivers, yes, a Formula One drivers, V eight supercar drivers, doesn't matter uh, which category, they'll often mentally visualise what they're going to do before they go out there. You know, I'm, I'm in fifth gear here. I'm getting the apex here. That I'm putting the foot on the brake here. Do you do a mental preparation for what the course is going to be? Do you sit there and visualise yourself going down
2: it? Yeah, definitely. That's a huge part of our um, mental preparation and, and race preparation because we don't actually get to practice it once the course is set. So they show us the course and there are some demo runners who do the gates so that we can see maybe the different lines we might want to take, the different options um, and then we watch video. We might take some split times to see if there are different options to take. And then, yeah, definitely a lot of visualization. So I, I just sit there, close my eyes, and and see myself doing the course, and and see myself trying different options if if that's something I have to think about. Um, so yeah, it's definitely an important part because there's a lot of research to show that by mentally, um, you know, by visualizing this, you're actually activating those those muscles and and it's not technically muscle memory, but everyone calls it that, um, so that you're better prepared to actually do it. And you've got that feel in a way when when you do actually do it. And the
0: penalties for touching a gate, is that electronic or is that done by a judge? How how does the penalty system work?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So there's there's gate judges for each gate. And usually there are three gate judges per gate at different, they're, they're seated in, in different positions. So on either side of the river, and then there's also a video gate judge, um, who sits in a room watching the the run and and sort of analyzes as well. And so basically it's, there is a bit of human error involved, but, um, generally the rules are, are fairly clear. So for a touch, that's a two second penalty. It's if you, touch the gate with any part of your body or your equipment. And then a 50-second penalty is if you wrongly negotiate the gate or completely miss the gate. So that means usually you don't put your whole head in the gate or you only have your head in but no other part of your body or your equipment. Um, And if you feel like you've been wrongly judged, you can uh, protest. But generally because there is that video review process happening at the same time, it's... um, it's usually fairly clear whether or not you do have a, a gate touch, but there is a bit of error involved sometimes.
0: And what needs to go through the gate to be a successful pass for want of a better term?
2: So by going through the gate without touching it or or missing it, you get a clean, so no penalties for that gate. So that just means you need to position your boat in the right position and, and uh, there are no rules around how you have to go through it um, except for, you know, having your body and and your kayak or canoe going through it at the same time okay so when does your dad when does old mate rich
0: get on the phone and say to you jess i'm going to be commentating on your (laughs) event
4: now into the spin that's good good exit running the boat nicely
2: I think it was actually no he did he did mention it to me um maybe it was in like June or early July that he mentioned it but then I did an interview with Mel McLaughlin on another podcast and she mentioned it and I was like oh wow okay so it's actually happening that's when it kind of sunk in that he was joining the commentary team to do to do the game so um it was yeah super exciting obviously they during the Olympics, they like to have an expert commentator who can sort of shed, shed some insight around the technical components or around the athletes. So I think he was well positioned to do that and not too biased, I think. Um, but he, he was telling me that it was, in a way, a good way for him to be part of the Olympics. Normally, he'd be over in Tokyo with us or he's been at every other Olympics in a professional capacity. So it was just a different way of experiencing the Games for him.
0: We'll get to your dad. How he got through the Olympic campaign, commentating on you. I don't think his heart rate got above about 42 the whole time. Very cool customer, your dad. (laughs) But you went into the K1 final, an Olympic final. As a pretty strong favourite, Jess, you dominated the World Cup, you dominated World Championships leading in. But how do you reset your mind when you've made the tiniest of errors? How do you tell yourself, I need to keep going, I need to keep going here? Drop through
1: 15, has to work hard, really hard. There's a couple of extra paddles there, big paddles. Losing some time is going to have to get really busy towards the back end of the course.
2: Yeah, I think it was quite challenging in in the kayak event because I'd felt so good in the heats, so good in the semi-final. I was last to start in the final, so I knew the times um, for the podium before I started. Um, and when I set off, I didn't feel good. It, it was quite bizarre. I just, I didn't feel as, as I normally would. And, and so I had to kind of overcome that and not focus on that. and just go through each, each gate, you know, get back into my race plan. Um, and I hit a gate early on and, and that didn't really frazzle me because I've done that before in races. I've hit gate one before and gone on to win. So I tried to sort of get back in the rhythm, um, stay focused on each gate. Mm. And then I got to the last upstream gate and um, I wasn't sure what my time was You know where I was sitting, if it was a good enough run to win and I think I just got a bit carried away and tried to attack this last upstream gate too much and take a a risk in a way to try and gain some time because it didn't feel like a super fast run and I touched it, unfortunately I I incurred a a two second penalty Here we go, boat nice and high loses another bit of
1: time, big trouble
2: Get really quick here. 105.5 is the time to beat. So I sprinted to the finish and I knew that, you know, two touches, it was four seconds added to my time. And I just thought, you know, I might be way off here. I might be in sixth or seventh place. And I crossed the line and I was third and I was, I think, 1.2 or three seconds from the win.
1: Has to get really quick here. 105.5 is the time to beat. Coming down to the line. Has she done it? 105, 106. She's in third. Ricardo Funk has won the gold medal. And Jess on the podium again. But it's not what she wanted. She's got the bronze.
4: Boy, oh, boy.
1: The last gate.
2: And it was just all this emotion of, I, I was, it was, it was so bizarre because I was devastated and at the same time relieved to still be on the podium. I was thinking, I can't believe I'm third with those two mistakes. And yet I was so close to winning that run without that touch on the last upstream. So it was just all these, yeah, emotions coming out. And I was, yeah, really frustrated with myself and um, still now frustrated, like I haven't been able to watch that race because it's it's too gut-wrenching for me. Um, but that's our sport, you know, it doesn't always go to plan. The, the favourites don't always win and it's funny because I went through that scenario in my head about a million times the night of, of the kayak just thinking, oh, what if I'd done it this way? What if I did it that way? I could have done this and it might have been okay. So you sort of go through all those um, what-ifs and shoulda, coulda, woulda, but in a way... Um, yeah, I think it just wasn't it wasn't my moment in the kayak. I think it was it was hard in a way, but it it also made me stronger for the next event. Um, I was having to deal with all those emotions, and I was having to um, in a way digest that performance, but also realize that it was an amazing t- achievement to win a third Olympic medal. So, I, I think yeah, I, I was it was probably the hardest two days of my life, those, those events.
0: <laughs> Which I guess is what I really want to talk to you about, Jess. I've learned doing this podcast that for all the wins and highs that athletes have, there is equally, if not more really down times where things don't work out. It doesn't go their way. So an Olympic bronze medal, it is an extraordinary achievement, but probably didn't meet your own really lofty expectations going in. As you said, so, how do you reset things? How do you get your energy up to go into another Olympic final performance? How, how low do you go and how did you drag yourself out of it to get yourself up again?
2: Uh, yeah, it was, um, I think, you know, I, there were definitely a few few tears shed and, and lots of um, messages back home and, and speaking to Dad um, as well once he'd finished commentating and, and, you know, going through it with Mum. And they were both like, you know what, you've, it is what it is. You know, it didn't go your way today. You've got to move on. You've got another opportunity. You're very fortunate to have another opportunity and you need to enjoy that and embrace it. And I think, you know, I spent the taxi ride home crying <laughs> and then um, had had physio. And, mm. and with my physio, we sort of had a bit of a joke and we were, I was like, I need to Distract myself, so we put like friends on the on Netflix and and just watched some <laughs> yeah some TV while he was doing treatment, and then I got back into it. You know, I had to I had to re-energize even though I felt quite depleted, um, and I had the heats the next day, and I think the next morning when I woke up, I just thought. I saw the medal and I was like, you've, you're going home with an Olympic medal and that's something to be extremely proud of, you know. You've you you you've won a third Olympic medal. That's amazing. Let's let's see what we can do in the C1. So I think I had to really shift the mindset but also conserve my energy and so the heats I just was like, I don't need to win today. I just need to get through the next round and get through to the semi. So I think I came fourth or fifth in that heats race Um and then for the final, uh, it was for the semis, you know, it was about just delivering a steady run to get into the final. I didn't think it would win the semifinal, um, but it did. So I was again in that same position that I was in, in the kayak. I was last to start. I knew all the times. And this time I really wanted to make sure I controlled my emotions, I embraced that opportunity, and that I was in a calm, confident state, even though in my head... You know, there was all the what ifs, what if you don't do it today, what if you do the same thing you did in kayak, what are people going to say? You know, you've got all these things happening and you've got to be able to just switch it off and focus on... On your race.
3: Hello there, and you're very welcome to the Kasai Canoe Slalom Center for the penultimate day's action in the Canoe Slalom event Tokyo 2020. And it's a historic day today because for the first time, the women's C1 event is being contested at an Olympic Games. The first ever Olympic medals in this C1 event will be given out later on this afternoon. 18
2: paddlers. True story, prior to that event, did you have an upchuck? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> and it's actually never happened to me before a race. I've never had to throw up. Like I have felt a bit nauseous before races and not felt hungry and haven't eaten much. But yeah, I I literally felt, okay, something's happening. I need to leave the tent right now. And so I went around the back and, and threw up and then thought, all right, well, my body's getting ready for a big moment here. Um, let's not look any further into it than that. I'm I'm ready to go. Here we go. So, yeah, um, yeah, it was quite funny because I passed mum before my warm up, and she was like, "How are you feeling?" And I was like, "I just threw up, but we're good." <laughs> so I don't know what <laughs> she was thinking, but but yeah, it was uh, it was quite funny to to look back on that and think. Well, it was obviously the the build up and the pressure and the you know, my expectations and, and the emotion that was coming into it.
3: The more I look at Mallory Franklin's time of 108.68, the more I think it's going to be so, so hard to beat for Jess Fox.
2: To me, it almost seems
1: like, did she take it easy in the semis to, to give the false advantage to the other passengers? <laughs> Say,
0: oh, yeah, I just need to get the 110. I'm fine. So how do you mentally calm yourself? How do you quieten things down in your head in those three or four minutes before you get, into your craft and get set to go with all these different thoughts going on in your brain?
2: Yeah, I think it's something that athletes have to work on. You know, the mental skills that you need in sport is especially for those moments of doubt and those moments of, um, you know, negative thoughts and and self-talk. And I think for me the C1 was particularly hard because, you know, I, I, I didn't really say this beforehand, but I got a little bit injured in the lead up to the Olympics in that sort of 10 days beforehand. So I didn't do as much C1 as I would have liked. And when I did do C1, it was very, um, easy paddling. It wasn't any hard moves. So my confidence wasn't a hundred percent in the canoe either. So I, I sort of, I felt like, I felt like I'd been feeling better in the kayak in the lead up and, and that the canoe, um, even though I was a very strong favourite as well, you know, if it didn't go my way there, I I sort of might expect it more because I I hadn't prepared like I wanted to in that last sort of 10 days. But in the end, I just had to tell myself, well, I've got years of experience today. I feel good. My body feels good. I've got the skills to do what I need to do. And I trust myself and my training. And so I think it's always about reframing the thoughts that are coming into your mind that are, yes, but you didn't do this. Or what if you stuff this up into I trust myself and my skills and I've done the work and that's all I can do. You know, now I just need to let let my body do the thing and let my mind be clear and calm and, and enjoy this moment. So I think I managed that really well. Um, and to be able to turn that around after the kayak was immensely difficult, but I'm so proud of myself for that.
1: Now it comes down to one and we're done. Oh, well, we got Jess Fox now. Jess Fox, the number one qualifier. She put up a very solid, solid 110 five, 9 But one 9 that doesn't get you gold out here today. That gets you silver
0: A short break from Jess To a guest who appeared on the show Way back on episode 17 I went back and listened to some of it yesterday The kids were much younger But they were very excited About this man's appearance Next week on the Howie Games Shh Pickle we're not allowed to say anything Please Big Penguin No Pickle Daddy said We have to keep our little traps shut Why Pengy? Because Daddy is going big time. I mean big time with next week's guest. Bigger than Gene Norman, maybe. Bigger than Dee Sammy, possibly. Bigger than Silly Gilly. Can't say pickle. All I can say is holy, dolly, holy moly, and crikey. It's going to be
4: better than Mado's cover drive. We're excited.
0: Yes, they were talking about Trevor Hendy, the greatest Ironman of all time, a beast of an athlete, a great human whose incredible uplifting views on life were shaped at an early age by his parents
4: just a beautiful man, very uh, courageous, honest, simple man that got in and got the work done all the time. And so what he did, we came home to my mum and she said, he said, look, let's pack up everything, sell everything, travel around Australia. And he, what he didn't want to do, he sort of revealed to me more later, he had a sense that he felt like the trodden path that everyone that was on wasn't so fulfilling. He had two qualifications and he had the best job. Everyone was telling him he should be blissfully happy, but he had this feeling like there was something missing. So he didn't want to settle into something that didn't feel like home to him, you know, and so he he felt more of a sense of adventure and he did all the right things first and then went, hang on, there's no reason why I can't do the right things for me, right? you know, now. So mum agreed to her credit, her strength. She was like, okay, Ron, let's do it. And they sold up everything, bought a caravan. We had a single cabin blue Dodge truck, 1971, left Melbourne, Traveller, yeah, left Preston. <laughs> Actually, we're living in Layla, right? And um, and David Street, Layla, we're living in, and and uh, in our beautiful little house, and and we left there to drive around Australia at whatever pace. And he had a certain amount of money saved. He had stuff in storage, house sold, and um, basically he was going to work his way around.
0: Here's to an adventurous life. If you want some inspo, as the cool kids call it these days, or a bit of hope punk, check out Trevor Hendy on episode 17. Let's get back to Jess. So, it is now uh, the C1 final. You're at the top of the course. Can you take me through the course? We talked about visualizing. Can you take me through part of the course from from the start what you're doing or is that too much to remember and too long ago?
2: No, I think I can I can probably do that. I think yeah, I mean, sitting in the start blocks is probably, you know, you're looking down at all the gates and you hear the the first beep, which is you've got ten seconds to go. You hear the next beep, which is you've got five seconds to go, and then it starts to count down three, two, one, and then you're off.
3: Can she improve on that time oh, oh, oh. in this final? It, this is the moment. And for here's Jess Fox.
1: The, she's already got a bronze medal out here in K1. She's already got another bronze in Olympic Games. She's got a silver. Jess Fox does not have a gold. Is this going to be the day that she gets it? Here's Jess Fox, our final paddler.
2: For me, I always have to focus on those first few strokes to get into the right rhythm. And the first three gates are fairly simple. Um, They're down gates. uh, And then it comes into that challenging first part, which is gate four, five, six. So there are a lot of turns to do. I've got to use the stopper. I've got to clear the gates. I was worried about hitting gate four again, like I did in my kayak. Got to
3: be a clean run for Jess Fox here, and she drives down towards gate four. Look how quickly she was into gate four! The beautiful technique from Jess Fox there. Five, good.
2: But I got through that well, so that was good. And when I got through gate eight, I could sort of take a breath and um, reframe and sort of think, okay, that's the first sort of hard section done. Um, So then I came into the next move, which was an upstream into gate 10. And at this point, I actually heard the loudspeaker say that I was two seconds up on the time.
3: First split is going to be really interesting here. It's been a positive start for Jess Fox. How is she going to match against that time from Mallory Franklin? Oh, she's up by 2.45 seconds. Check the time.
1: 2.45 seconds. She's up. Jess Fox has to keep it clean right here.
2: So I had to quickly, you know switch that off i heard the information don't analyze it too much and keep carrying on with my with my race and then just sort of know that i had that time (laughs) up my sleeve which was good so yeah then i i got through the next bit and then the big stopper move which is that big wave in the middle section jess
1: fox has to keep it clean right here this could be her first ever olympic gold medal she's got a silver she's got a bronze for these games And she's got a bronze in another Olympic competition. Three medals. Can she get the gold? That's the one that escapes her every single time. But right now, Jess Fox just has to stay on it. You don't want to lose time here.
2: I think it was gate 15 to 16 was one move that I was a bit nervous about because I hadn't been able to do any of that in training. So once I got through that, um, you know, I got a little bit bounced around, but I held onto it really well and came into that upstream gate. I kind of felt that next release of breath in a way of, okay, that bit's done now, refocus for the next bit. Um, and yeah, I think I kept it flowing really well into gates 17 to 18.
1: Shout the time, check the time right now for Jessica Fox. She is up on it right now. Mallory Franklin, the time to beat is a 108.68. Jessica Fox trying to
2: take that time down. I kept it really safe in the next down gates and then coming into that last upstream gate, which is where I hit in, in the kayak. I really kept it safe, kept it flowing behind. And once I was out of there, I I knew I'd done a good run. I'd, I wasn't sure of the time, but I knew it was a really good run and I just charged to the finish.
1: Here we go, the final upstream, that's 24. Here's gate 25. She's going to all out sprint to the finish line. Here comes Jess Fox. Can not she do it? Looking to beat a 10868. Here comes the time. Check the time. A 10504. Jess Fox has done it. Jess Fox putting up the fastest time of the day. This could be her gold medal.
2: Wow. And crossing the line, it took me a split second to compute if I'd won, like I was looking at all the numbers and I was a bit blurry eyed. And <laughs> and then I saw that there was green. So I knew that was a good thing. And then I saw the number one next to my name. And I just, yeah, released all that emotion and, and all that excitement. So um, it was just pure joy, relief. And I looked to the side to find my my mum and and give her a big hug and celebrate that moment with her. You know, as as my coach, it's it's a massive moment for her as well, and as my mum too. So it was really special. What
3: a moment for Jessica Fox from Australia! She has come so close, so often. That was supreme paddling under the most extreme pressure from the time set by Mallory Franklin. And Jess Fox has done it. One oh five oh four. Unbelievable. 3.64 seconds quicker than anybody else. Her mother won a bronze medal in the Olympic Games in 1996. Jess Fox, a regular winner of bronze and silver. And now she has the gold.
2: Um, And it turns out my sister was also there because she was working um, for the Tokyo Sprint uh, as as a commentator. So, yeah, it was just an amazing moment to be able to share that with them as well.
0: And at what moment does it sink in that you're an Olympic gold medalist or has it still not sunk in that you're an Olympic gold medalist?
2: I think for me it was the podium, you know, just hearing them announce and gold medalist and Olympic champion Jessica Fox, like I was tearing up, I was really emotional in that moment and um, receiving the gold medal, like it was just... It, I think every Olympic medal is beautiful, but the gold one—it's just—it's just an amazing, um, amazing color and amazing medal, and it champion, represents so much. Australia.
1: Key medalist, Olympic champion, Australia.
3: Jessica Fox. I think the tears are about to flow here. Uh, you I can or see, me? I, I can feel <laughs> it myself. Yeah. Uh, this just means so much yeah. to her.
2: Yeah, that moment for me really hit me and it's something that it'll keep sinking in I, I think as soon as I get home I just really want to be able to share that with everyone and and uh yeah, pass it around to everyone because I know the impact that a gold medal can have on a on a kid because in 2004 I was that kid who saw a gold medal, an Olympic medal and and it did light that dream for me. So um yeah, it's it's amazing.
0: What was that medal that you saw in 2004?
2: So it was at the welcome home event that Qantas does, where the athletes and, and coaches arrive back on the charter flight. And both my parents went to the Athens Olympics, so I was waiting in the in that welcome home hangar, and I had my little autograph book, and I was getting as many signatures as I could, and. Um, yeah, I got to I got to hold an Olympic gold medal. I got to see many athletes and many medals. Um, but I thought it was Anna Mirza's Olympic gold medal, and now I found out it might not be. But we don't actually know who it was, so I'm just, I'm just going to keep saying it was Anna because I did eventually see Anna and her gold medal. But now I'm not sure. So um, either way, whoever it was, thank you because that was an amazing moment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it was such a different village, obviously. Is there a celebration? Was there a celebration after you win and your Games is finished?
2: Uh, yeah, it was definitely very different this time because everyone had to leave straight after their events. So it was quite bizarre just, you know, finishing racing, packing up everything and then getting on a plane the next day. And in a way that was a bit sad to not be able to support our team teammates who were still competing and and to be able to celebrate in the village. Um, But I felt like the Aussie HQ, there was such an amazing vibe. Uh, Everyone you know, all the athletes who were there competing that week that I was there, Um, it was just, yeah, an amazing atmosphere to be a part of and and I felt the love from them, you know, so many of them were watching my race at HQ and when I got home to the village, you know, there were cheers, there were claps, there were pats on the back and and fist bumps and, yeah, it was really special. So even though there wasn't a proper celebration, um, I think, you know, there might be when we get home later in the year, it was a little bit sad seeing, you know, European countries and the US, all their Olympians coming home and having these big welcome home celebrations and then our Aussie Olympians in quarantine. So it was quite a contrast, but I'm sure there'll be time to celebrate later.
0: Congratulations on your Olympic gold medal. You get two weeks in Howard Springs. Well done to you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah. look, I guess everyone knew knew it was coming, but it is challenging because I think it's hard if you've won well, it's hard if you've performed well because you want to be able to share that and celebrate with everyone and you're sort of on that come down. And it's really hard if you haven't had the Olympics that you wanted to have and you're isolated in, in a hotel room and you're not able to be with your support network. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, quarantine's challenging for, for anyone. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's funny when I talk to other athletes, they can't believe that we've got a quarantine and that Australia's in lockdown. It's quite foreign
0: to them in a way. <laughs> and so you obviously had a, a little bit of time off, but you're competing at, 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 at world-class level again now. When you go to get back in the kayak for the first time after achieving your dreams, Jess, is it, oh no, I've got to fire this up again, or wow, how good can I get from here?
2: I think the fact that Paris is you know, three years away keeps me quite excited and hungry and motivated and, um, you know, if I'd gone home and had the opportunity to celebrate and be with everyone, maybe it would have been harder to get back in and, and come back to Europe. But because I came straight back, uh, it sort of just felt like, okay, well, we're back into this now. Um, I had a, a couple of weeks off just sort of decompressing, but it was really hard. The first couple of sessions that I did, I felt very average. And it was really frustrating that I felt like I'd lost fitness or strength or or feel in that short period of time. You know, I'm like, I've trained mm. five years for this. It should last more than, you know, a week of competition. So, um, yeah, it, it took a few days to get back into it and, and now I'm starting to feel good again. And I think with it being race week now with the World Cup in Spain, I'm sure seeing my competitors and, and being back in that vibe will fire me up again.
0: An unusual question before I get to the last couple for you. Obviously, you've got some fantastic sponsors with Red Bull and and, and your other affiliates who you're quite welcome to name right now on the show. <laughs> Not being the highest of high-profile sports, what is the living like for you being a professional athlete? Obviously, there's a lot of costs involved with, with travel and accommodation. You get through okay?
2: Yeah, I, I think I consider myself very fortunate in that I, I am from a small sport and we're not um huge especially in comparison to other very popular sports in australia or around the world um you know we're not on professional salaries or anything so we do get government funding and support from our federation and, and institutes of sport um but i am really fortunate that i've got sponsors in yeah red bull toyota um adidas YoPro, pro southland shopping center who've supported me for a long time as well Um, and yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, I'm so grateful for that because it helps, it it means that I'm able to train and, and like be a professional athlete. And, and even though I am studying alongside, I don't on top of that have to find a job and, and, um, yeah, take that take away from my paddling. So I know a lot of athletes struggle. And for me, the fact that I had that early success with the Olympics in London and then Rio, an Olympic medal changes everything for a small, small sport like me. And I think it was really important for me to be working on my brand and my profile and doing a lot of the media stuff that that was a bit hard and challenging at first um, and giving back to to the community and to the sponsors and things. So it is it is quite challenging. I mean, a lot of athletes have to do a lot of extracurricular stuff, but it's yes. part of the job and it's also something that luckily I enjoy doing too and I've met some amazing people along the way. So, yeah, super lucky and and grateful to have the support of some amazing Australian athletes um, companies and sponsors and, and yeah, I'm looking forward to being home and being able to also be back in the community and and share it with them too.
0: Now, you get the question from my daughter, Sky, whose nickname is The Pickle. Are you ready for The Pickle?
4: I am. (laughs) Hi, Jess. Pickle here. We were watching you at the Tokyo Olympics and we watched you win your gold and bronze medal. Well done. That was awesome. Anyway... We've been to Zimbabwe, and we went to the Victoria Falls. But we really wanted to go water rafting, but we weren't allowed because me and my brother were too young. What I want to
2: know is, do you ever go kayaking or rafting just for fun? What a great question, They and they speak so well. I'm so impressed. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I've never been to Zimbabwe or to the Victoria Falls, so I am very jealous of you. Um, and that would be terrifying rafting down there. <laughs> I don't think it's ever been done either. But I actually just watched a Netflix movie. Um, it's called The River Runner, and I really recommend it. It's it's an amazing story about whitewater kayaking, um, especially in the Himalayas, and just shows some of the wow. incredible kayaking that people do. I have never done anything of that level because I am way too terrified. Um, but I would love I I'd love to do a little bit more of the sort of kayaking. On natural rivers, out and out in the wild, you know, overnight trips, or even you know, my dream would be to do the Colorado River, which is like a two-week-long um, Can- Grand Canyon trip. So, I'd love to do that. Unfortunately, with the Olympics and my sort of competition schedule, it's meant that we sort of always go to those artificial courses or the competition venues. Um, but definitely, one day when I have a bit more time and the risk of injury isn't as important i'd love to i'd love to do a little bit but in terms of kayaking for fun it is something i still um i still do like i i love training and it is fun for me but taking the kayaks and going exploring the coastline or a lake i've never been to um it's an amazing way to see the world from a different perspective so i think it's something i'll always do and it's something i get to share with my family as well which is amazing
0: so if you tackle the colorado river Will you be able to at some stage just cruise down there and enjoy the serenity and, and the technique and the skill and the environment or will you ask them at the top what's the quickest anyone's <laughs> ever done this trip and try and beat it?
2: <laughs> oh, my gosh, no, I definitely think I will be taking the time to soak it all in and enjoy the surrounds <laughs> and, and, um Yeah, surf as many waves as possible and just
0: just have fun, yeah. Final question for you, Jess. You've been so great and I know you've got to check out of your hotel. For all the youngsters out there, we always finish this way, as you know, which is fantastic, that are trying to achieve some success in their field, whether they want to be kayakers or canoeists or pianists or violinists or plumbers or builders or architects. From your fantastic journey of ups and downs along the way, what advice would you give the people out there, the kids, the youngsters?
2: I think that, you know, it's really important to to dream big and to know that someone somewhere out there is going to be the Olympic champion or that doctor or that vet or that high school teacher or that musician or whatever it is that that, that child is, is dreaming about. And I think you know, believing and working hard for that is is something that's amazing and, and that I definitely encourage everyone because the the pursuit of a dream is very rewarding as well and learning about failure and falling down and getting back up is super important and we all go through that. So I think along the way there'll be challenges, along the way there'll be defeat and mistakes and I think being able to learn from it and think Instead of thinking, why me? Why has this happened? Think, what what is this meant to teach me today? I think that's the best attitude to have. So um, that's something I like to live by as well.
0: Yes, thank you so much. Congratulations on everything you've achieved so far. There's obviously so much ahead of you. Stay safe. And I think all of Australia is looking forward to welcoming you home and seeing that medal. But thank you so much for joining me on the Howie Games. It's made my afternoon. I well, really appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to share the story with you. And and thank you for the questions to, to Big Penguin and, and Pickle too. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm really, really chuffed we were able to do this. So thanks for having me.
0: I love Jess's story because it illustrates just how much time, effort, commitment and resilience is required to win an Olympic gold medal to be the very best. Thanks to Jess for holding off checking out of a hotel to get this episode in the can. What a star. Thanks to you for tuning in. Until next Thursday with the force of nature, that is Colonel Bob Sheridan. (laughs) Peace and love.
4: And we can do it if we
2: try, try, try.